Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming William Lychek. Along with his new novel, Cargill Falls, Bill is the author of five previous books, a novel, The Wasp Eater, a collection of stories, The Architect of Flowers, a cultural history of cement, and two titles for children. His work has appeared in the Best American Short Stories, the Pushcart Prize, and on public radio's This American Life. And his awards include a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship, a Sherwood Anderson Award, a Christopher Isherwood Prize, and a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers selection. He's worked as an editor at New England Review and Guidepost Magazine, and currently teaches in the writing program at the University of Pittsburgh. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I want to start. (laughs) Glad to be here, finally. (laughs) Despite technical difficulties that we've now solved, Uh um, I I would just want to start by appreciating your book. I I, um, love the writing and the, it was very evocative for me. Uh, And of course, having um, written a book without being a writing teacher, uh, I really, I really, um, resonating resonated with the writing um just beautiful uh beautiful imagery beautiful words and and really called up what you were talking about very much but i wonder if you could start by just sharing with uh with listeners how you came to write this particular book and um kind of what the what the how it intersects with uh you know the um the theme of this show? Well, um, I started the book on my 50th birthday. Um, and I had, my father had died when he was 50. So it was a bit of a threshold for me. Um, and I said, what would gall me if I didn't tell the story? And it was the story of my friend, Stephen, who committed suicide about three years earlier. And, um, so I had, given a um, eulogy at his remembrance ceremony, and I was just never satisfied with that. So the book really grew out of um, a sense of wanting to, wanting a redo of the, uh, the eulogy, and a sense of getting, touching bottom with his story and my story, and where our two stories are separated. Um, and it was the fastest book I'd ever written. So this book only took a couple of years to complete, but um, it was um, kind of a labor of love to try to honor his him as a person and bring him back to life, if only in some ways to, to um, lay him the rest finally, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, that there's... Uh, even Even when... I finished reading the book. Uh, of course, we've talked a bit about it, so I had less mystery than I felt I would have had. But it 
it is quite a mysterious thing, isn't it? What leads one person in one direction and another in, in another, because uh, I don't know. You're, you're saying it's a novel, so I'm assuming it's not all accurate to what actually occurred. But um, Stephen struck me as someone who had more advantage than you, you know, uh, in terms yeah. of family and and income and uh, all those sort of outward uh, ways that we measure advantage, and yet right. um, and yet you uh, found a, a way to have the life you want, and apparently he did not. Um, is that still very mysterious to you, or did you feel that writing the book helped you explore that a bit? Uh, no, it, it's an odd thing, because it helps me, if anything, deepen the mystery. It's not so much finding the answer as articulating the question in a way that um, holds the answer in it some way, if that if um, yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I I cannot say at all what what separated us. Um, and yes, all those advantages were definitely his. He could have done anything in the world, and I loved him as a brother. Um, he's the closest friend I ever had in my life. But I think um, sometimes, you know, it's what I have three kids, and part of what we try to teach is grit and you know, what happens when things don't go your way. Um, and maybe maybe I, I had that much more in my DNA or my at least my upbringing than he might have had. I don't, I'm not sure, but. Um, well, I think, I that, think uh, that is a, a, a tremendous mystery that I certainly don't have the answer for, even as a counselor. Uh, what... Yeah leads to a sense of resiliency um, because I find that the people that have a little of it to start with develop more of it over time, you know, and, and it's a lot yeah. hard. It's a lot harder to sort of find it when it doesn't come naturally. Well, I don't know if you find this with your, your patients or even your own life, but like you start to realize that your weaknesses become your secret strength because you have to work so hard at them. And I think um, in a different world, I played a lot of judo, um, like a decade's worth of competitive judo. And you'd start to learn that every action has a reaction and a response. And you start to feel like these gift curses that you're given are your, your source of strength if you can handle them. Or I also go to Burma a lot. Um, and one of the phrases they have there is either get tough or die. You know, so it's like, <laughs> you, know, it's like you have to um, somehow work yourself, um, recognize and acknowledge your deprivations and your weaknesses, but then also make peace with them or harness them at some level, you know. Um, it's an interesting expression that get tough or die because – there's also an aspect that I would describe with the, this way, get soft or die, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, find ways to lean into your difficult experiences um, and, and allow them to affect you, but not take you down. Yeah. 
Um, so yep. um, it's kind of and, the opposite, like the but gym. also the same. <laughs> well, the, but, the being pliant, um, the, in the judo world, you have this idea of being pliant with like just flexible and the read, the read. And in Burma, there are all these phrases, um, part of when I was studying the language, you learn all the phrases and one is like the reeds bend to the wind. Um, you know, so there are these, there are these ways that you don't stand up to things you can't change. That makes sense. Yes, it absolutely does. <laughs> the, the other thing I'm just really aware of is that, uh, is an expression that um, one of my teachers used to say very often, um, which is when someone uh, takes their life, they hang their skeleton in your closet. And mm. I, I wondered if that rings true for you. Um, you know, the sort of, there's always a sense of maybe what could we have done or what could have been different, uh, a sense of responsibility, even though, of course, you can't, uh, we can't uh, completely oh, yeah. control that, that outcome. Oh, I was haunted by that. Absolutely. Like, why didn't he just call me? Or why didn't he just reach out at any level, you know? Or had he tried to, and I hadn't been aware of it, you know? Um, so absolutely, that's a great idea. Like they, they, they leave you with this mess, um, like this, all this equipment tied up inside of you somehow. Um, Grace Kelly has a great um, phrase where uh, her husband had a certain way of saying something pointed that would leave her with um, plumber, a plumber snake in her ear halfway down to her heart, and then he would leave the equipment in, in her. Um, just the way it felt, absolutely. So I dedicated the next years to, of my life and my working life to, you know, um, expressing, get it, uh, and to express, to literally get rid of that exorcism, you know, of, of some kind. Yeah. That's, that's right, I think. And would you say that writing the book was, was part of that, that that has helped to exorcise for you? I do. Um, I'm not one on thinking writing can be therapeutic or should be used as therapy maybe, but I, there's something very healing about the process. And for me, writing, um, and for a lot of my students and a lot of my friends, it seems that writing is the right pace and the right process um, and the way I make sense of the world. So absolutely, that was a, there's nothing, he, I, I don't feel any obligation to, um, to be thinking too much about that anymore. I feel like I've expressed everything I need to express for now about him and his, his um, passing. And also my relationship to it um, and then my friend's relationships to it. Um, because that's now something yeah, no. that, having left where you grew up, I could imagine that that you're very linked with everyone from there that you were close with growing up. Um, that that the loss of him links you, relinks you in a sense. That that's mm -hmm. my imagination, but I wonder if that's the way you experience it. Absolutely, and it was a way for me to write my love letter to that town and that time. Um, and it tied me to, my mother still lives in the town, I still go back to that town 
um, you know, at least every other month. And so, yeah, my dearest, closest friends in the world are still there. Um, and in some ways, being a little farther away um, helps preserve that because some of the, the it's just an easier way to kind of come in and out of the place rather than um, rather than maybe fall into patterns that wouldn't be useful to me. That makes sense. Yes, it does make sense, but, yeah. but also, but also, I imagine it preserves. Uh, you know, I notice if I run into someone, for instance, who I haven't seen in a very long time, who was close mm -hmm. to my my wife who died. Um, mm -hmm. There's a way in which uh, the experience of her illness and death is more frozen in time for them than it is for me. Mm -hmm. uh, that their reference to that experience is still still resembles the way it was back then, and for me, it's completely different. <laughs> if that oh, makes yeah. because time has traveled. I, I, that's a beautiful way to think of it, and very perceptive. Yes. Um, so being away from the town does preserve it for me, um, which is why I could dwell on it and lavish love on it in a way that, you know, I don't think many other people. Would be inclined to, um, and so then yeah, it's absolutely. interesting that 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 and so then it's interesting to me that um, kind of the heart of the book in terms of what you're talking about most of the time is a childhood event, mm -hmm. uh, and we may not be able to be exhaustive before our break about that, but. Um, I wonder if you just felt compelled to to tell the story of you and him through this childhood event, or if there was a link that you saw between what happened when you were boys and what happened eventually. I tried to make an, a link. Um, I tried to feel for a link, but um, perhaps the link wasn't there, and I... It's interesting to me, someone pointed out that every hour of the boy's day is, and every minute really is accounted for, um, and then the longer stretches of time that are outside of, outside of that one day are drastically, like, um, pixelated, if you will. They're just scattered, and um, there's not an accounting for time. There's a lot less causality in them, um, whereas everything in that day is very straight, plotted, and there's not two minutes that go by that we don't see or hear about it. Um, and that, again, yeah, I, I think you had it right. I think that that's uh, um, by leaving the place, it preserves it under amber in a way, so that a person can feel it, um, at least in a novel very acutely. Well, I'm also as a, as a, aware, though, in of the way in which uh, memory is reinterpreted when when more happens, uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, you and you, the character in the book, but I think it's also true of you, found a gun together, you know, that would have a different mm -hmm. significance without the ultimate happening of him dying. I would imagine that it's also oh, yeah. that you see everything differently looking back that way. 
Right. Oh, absolutely. You needed the end of that story, of his story, to to give rise to the gun. I mean, if we're what's autobiographical and not autobiographical, but if someone were to make something up, that, that was always the inciting moment of, of where our lives, if you could dial back to a moment where our lives sort of um, started to change, where we could take physical action and assume power that wasn't given to us, but was our choice, at least in the novel and the narrative. Um, Without yeah, the, the the choice, without the wisdom, huh? Oh, absolutely! You, you really captured, yeah. you know, the way that children, um, the the excitement of of doing something you know is maybe you shouldn't do, you know, <laughs> and who doesn't have a story like that? Right. I hope um, it's it's such a necessary part of coming of age. Um, absolutely, and you know, you not only maybe you shouldn't do it, but you know you shouldn't do it, and still you're compelled and know that it's a failure of spirit at some level if you if you don't do it. Um, so those boys knew they should have returned the gun or found somebody responsible, some adult figure, um, but. Damn, they had to shoot it at Gong. Um, and uh, that was just, this is their chance to, to make a story for themselves, to make, to make, um, to take their future into their hands for the first time. I want to talk more about that when we get back from the break, because that seems uh, such, such an important aspect since later in his life, he took power in such a, you know, one way to think of it, of it is he didn't consider anyone. He just did that thing. Um, but with yeah. such far-reaching consequences for all of you. Yeah. So we'll talk well, about that uh, when we get back. Okay. And listeners, oh. you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc. And to find more about William Lychak, you can go to www.lychack.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with William Lychek about his novel, Corgal Falls. And before the break, Bill, we were, uh, you know, we were talking about um, uh, the, this, this childhood way of doing something really out of the, uh, out of the usual and the kind of um, way that you, you, all got through that and then later he takes such a dramatic step out of the usual uh i can see that that might be a little connected too in at least um emotionally those those two um kind of out of the box events a great insight that as the writer i'm not sure i always have um Someone looking at it, it's often the case that somebody looking at your your work can tell you more about it than you sometimes can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that that you pointed that connection to me because it's it feels absolutely right. Um, but I'd never had a way of articulating that before. But absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And again, part of the process of this for me is 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 you. You say your situation, and then you you look for the wisdom of how to continue that situation. So there's there's just that um, absolute. That, I, I just I'm, I'm just trying to give appreciation to you. That's that's a great way to think of it. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, <laughs> it, it really struck me because of um, the sense I have that. Um, we we sometimes we're so close to a thing we can't even see the connections and and even after i finished reading the book different connections kept happening but i was also thinking of something else in the background which is uh you know my first really major loss was my was my wife i've since lost friends i've lost my parents i've lost my mother-in-law you know and i and i think there's a sense in which uh each loss sort of evolves us differently for the next loss i would have been so different mm-hmm. with my parents if i hadn't gone through what i did with with my wife and i yeah. wondered if if you um think you responded to what happened with your friend differently you can't know this so it's a it's an unknowable uh question in a way but how do you believe it might have affected the way you responded that you had um, not known your father and that he had died when you were very young? Um, because that means you kind of have a life 
um, connected to grief from way back. And I wonder if I wonder if you think that impacted uh, how you responded. How could it not? Um, absolutely, I think uh, there's that idea of original suffering in in Buddhism, where you are everything. You have an original suffering, and almost every decision seems determined by that original suffering. Um, so that it took me uh, my entire life actually to figure this out. But yeah, everything that can be traced back for me to that time, the same way as for my mother, everything can be traced back to her own father dying when she was five. Um, so yeah, that that. That has shaped me um, in ways that I hope to get rid of at some level, or at least embrace, um, or I think I have, and it's, again, back to those gift curses of like, well, I think that's what makes me a better mentor to my students and a better um, protege to my mentors, if that makes sense. I mean, all these things. Um, but yeah, I, I, wa- I, I wonder if it also, I know that you've, for instance, you traveled to to far reaches, uh, exploring spiritual tradition. Uh, you know, what I, what I think I get from you is that you're a searcher in some ways, for want of a better word, uh, looking mm-hmm. for answers in the universe, looking for a way to um, process your experiences or, you know, <laughs> however we want to mm-hmm. talk about that. And I wonder if, you know, there's a way that if, if you're a person who's looking for meaning out of difficult experience, it's, it's really a head start, isn't it, on dealing with what happens in life that perhaps your friend didn't have. Yes, absolutely. And I think even like a conversation like this, as I'm sure you probably have it all the time with your, your clients and, and patients, but it's... Um, when you're writing a book, you are so in the thick of making the world and the words believable and solid and without BS and all these other things that you try to hide behind or even pretty writing um, that you, it's sometimes very difficult to make those bigger, broader connections because you lack the objectivity. So, um, that's why sharing your work is important sometimes and sharing your story is important. Um, but just the, uh, the idea of letting your situation speak. And this for me was my situation of just like, um, how not only to have, so the book, at least for me was always a process of not just having it be, become about the suicide. So I wanted the, the suicide to occur early in the book or be revealed early so that the truth could cohere around something bigger um, than just like, aha, gotcha with a suicide. Instead, let's have the suicide and by page 18 and, and all the aftermath and then try to make meaning of it. Um, But yeah, I think James Joyce had that great line. You only find what you're looking for. So if I'm looking for meaning in things, then that's what I, I'll, be striving to find. I wonder if you could share a little bit. It sounds as if you were going in the direction of, of um, I don't know, spiritual practice as the heart of your life. 
And then um, from there, you became a husband, father, teacher. I have a feeling that's probably an interesting journey too. Um, how how your life turned from one to the other? Yeah, and not not always easy, but yeah, absolutely, um, with its own stressors. But um, uh, I'm at my best in the world when I'm not saying no, no all the time. Um, when I work hard to let things in, um, if that if that. <sighs> Is a good a good response. I, um, you know, the world says no plenty to whatever you're trying to do, but I, I try not to say no to myself or to ideas or people or and just remain open to things. Um, and again, not all. Not. I wish I had. There are people out there that are smarter, and I'm a well-meaning person, and I'm. Um, but I am often like a mole in the dark about like what my motives are, what my where I'm, where I think I'm going. And I just try to trust, trust, you know, be it trust to the universe or trust to my, my, um, feelings or my wife's, um, inclinations or whomever, you know, just, um, but I, I, that kind of connects with, uh, something that I've noticed in doing this show for so long, which is that, Often uh, when people uh, experience a big loss uh, and, and grieve it and go forward from there, there's often this sense of following intuition more. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, you wouldn't have a before since your experience of loss came so young, right? <laughs> but uh, I wonder if that's a little what you're talking about, just kind of, paying attention and, and following, following the arrow in a sense, instead of kind of thinking about where, what you should do next. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, you don't have a, in a case like mine, I'm not sure I had a model for any of it. So I, I, so that, that was imprinted on me early that there was no model. Um, But I'm not sure. So maybe I would disagree a little bit. Um, the grief didn't kick in, at least, or the awareness of it, um, until much later for me, like probably in my 20s or 30s. Um, so I'd lost my father. He died when I was 10, and I only met him twice in my life. Um, so I think that loss was there, but it was, as a kid, you don't really have a lot of comparisons. Um, right. It's just your experience, but... As I was getting older, I started to realize, like, gosh, I was, I was always looking to borrow fathers, and I was always looking to, um, to to fill these relationships, um, or find mentoring, or find counsel, if you will. Um, so I, I, the grief was was there, but it wasn't actualized. If that made, the seed of it was there, right? But I never, right. That's that's sort of why I was saying, you know, there is no, bef- there's not really a sense of before or after with you. It's just a part of yeah. your your overall experience so much. Uh, but that did mm. show in the book. I mean, again, I don't know which parts of it are 
exactly uh, autobiographical, but um, this sense of longing for uh, somebody to lead you, I guess, is how I yeah. how to put it, uh, that, I, that I do think is so evident in kids that lose a parent, you know, even if they still have another parent, um, mm-hmm. kind of looking around for something. Absolutely. And I think um, there's also the side of me that says, oh, to myself, oh, get over it. You know, like um, after a certain, and maybe this is what we were talking about earlier. It's like, okay, well, and this is part of the process of writing perhaps, but like, oh, by this time uh, you've either mined it or gotten, you've necessitated those accidents that by now or else, or else you're in trouble. Um, And so if my, father came back to me or Brownie came back to me, I'd, and at least in work and fiction, I'd, I'd probably show them the door. I don't want, you know, that's, that's done material in a way. Um, that's mm-hmm. a harsh way to look at it, but you do get a sense of like, oh, for the love of God, I've just got to move on as well. <laughs> you know? That's, well, that makes <laughs> It, it makes it makes sense. It's not it's not how I come at it because uh, <laughs> because obviously uh, you know I think there's always more meaning to make. That's my personal experience, yeah. and of course, yeah, there there are things that I don't I don't visit too much anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for instance, uh, for the first several years after my wife died. I would see someone, let's say I'm walking down the street and I and I see someone ahead of me that walks the way she walks, it would it yeah. would uh kind of make me drop. And that just happens very rarely anymore, you know. So there there are experiences I don't have anymore, but um I don't know. I tend to come from the place and my listeners know this for sure. I don't think those relationships end. Maybe right. the traumatic parts uh, get a lot less acute. But um, I have to tell you that both your father and your friend seem very present to me, you know, in yeah. in the book and in the way you're talking as well. And I um, I say all that, and I and I say I am of the other mind that wants to do that. And I realize as I say it that I'm full of it a little bit, and um, it reminds me of, and, and yeah, and you, the same, the same for both of us. I mean, the first first fact I knew about you when you introduced yourself and we we began to be friends was that um, your your first wife had passed, um, and the same way with. The first thing you knew about me was my I was didn't have a father and my friend had committed suicide. Um, there's a part in the book that has, um, if I can just share it with you quickly. Absolutely. Um, is that okay? Yes, go right ahead. Okay, so in another life, there are, it turns out, many lives in this one existence of ours. I am someone who ends up going to Myanmar to be a Buddhist monk. This, too, is like a dream. No need for explanation. But at my ordination, I am given a new name, Usazana. I go and live for a time in a forest monastery on the southern Shan Plateau. I will talk about this in my classes back home. I will explain how the Buddhists have a, 
an idea of original suffering. This is something you carry with you your whole life. It's not always obvious to you what the suffering is, or sometimes it's so obvious you don't count it as anything. But every choice you make can be traced back to this one thing, your gift curse, your entire character stemming from it. Um, there's a... One af- I'll skip ahead a little bit. One afternoon, driving in our Jeep from Mandalay to Yangon, we stop at a roadside gas station. There's a small village nearby, and off to the side, a very old woman is selling teak chocks. They're used as parking brakes for cars and trucks. There's a fresh cut. There are these fresh-cut wedges stacked in all sizes around her. She's no bigger than a small boy, this woman inviting us to sit in her shade. She offers tea and mangoes. The air is pleasant off the small pond behind her house. She wants to know the story of us, our heads shaved clean. We explain that we've just left the monastery in the forest, just been disrobed, on our way back now to the jungle for real, of the real world now. She's pleased and tell how she's lived never far from this hill her entire life. We're only there for ten minutes, the space of a cup of tea, the engine of our Jeep ticking itself cool. She relights her cheroot and tells of her children, her grandchildren, her husband's death, and how she laughed at her younger brother when he was six years old. She didn't know any better, the boy in his coffin in the front room of the house. But almost 90 years later, after the fact, she's still known in the village as the girl who couldn't stop giggling at her brother's funeral. It's alive in her face, the sadness and shame, the acceptance, the odd, enduring sense of identity. Of all the stories she could have told, that was the one she chose. Mm. That must mean something. Mm. So that's that's sort of one of the key um, discoveries for me. I think. Thank and you for letting me it's read. Such a, it's such a familiar <laughs> uh, experience for for me. Uh, obviously, the details completely different, but. Uh, I tend to have many very deep conversations in my life because the simplest mm-hmm. thing, like someone says, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I'm a grief counselor. Oh, that must be hard. No, I love it. You know, and it, it just naturally yeah. leads to, of course, that came out of a loss, right? And once, I don't know, I sort of feel as if as soon as you can talk about death you can talk about pretty much anything uh given that it's something that people avoid if if someone's willing to talk about it uh it opens it makes an open space that sounds like that's what happened with that woman Mm-hmm. right and and the fact that she's held on to it for 80 some odd years um that that becomes her defining story you know like all of us, if you meet meet somebody in a bar or a coffee shop, it's like, well, what are the stories that that define you? And so, again, when I turned 50, I had this finitude of time because, you know, it had been my father's age and um, just a variety of things. And it was a age you couldn't hide from anymore. You couldn't pretend that it was you were the youngest person around. Um, <laughs> I just said, okay. Well, what would gall me if I didn't try to tell it, you know, so, or if somebody told it before me. Um, so that's, 
I put down my other projects and just said, okay, well, this is what I want to do. Um, and I would feel incomplete if I didn't finish this. And so I guess we could say uh, the, 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 what was there for you to write about with it, that you completed. It is done, basically. Mm -hmm. you, you, have, you have accomplished that. And mm -hmm. I can imagine there's a sort of uh, completion feeling or even maybe relief in um, having that out a, in the world. There's a contentment. Um, it's a very, very rare thing, at least for me, like that sense of like, okay, well, I gave that everything I possibly could. Um, it's as good as it po I could possibly make it. And... Um, there's nothing more I would want to say within the confines of that book. The other thing that comes to my mind is this: is this idea that uh, that grief, uh, grief experienced and expressed, leads to uh, a, a kind of giving impulse. You know, your friends. Uh, the loss of your friend led to this book. Something came out uh -huh. of it. And um, I feel that's almost, uh, for most people, some kind of requirement. It might just be you're the one people call when, you know, they have a loss. Or it, it, it might not be a book published. But I do think yeah. that there's that impulse and so uh, that feels good in and of itself, yes? To have, oh, absolutely. To have made um, something and from that experience. You made something. Even if you make somebody else, I guess what you do, you make somebody able to process it or say they're not alone in that, that pent-up horrible feeling they're having. Um, and that a sharing of it is, can be a positive um, you're not you're not carrying this all alone. That that it, even if that that's it. And in the book, it's a little more complicated because I didn't want to sugarcoat any of it, and I didn't want to just give a hagiography of who this person was. I wanted to give the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, just because I think I was trying to to bring him back to life at some level and he would not have appreciated if I had just made him to be the same. Uh, just like his mother would not have um, if I'd made him the same. It would not have been true to who he was. Yes, I, I have that objection often at memorials, you know, that people mm -hmm. are so so positivized, I guess, that they don't, yeah. um, they don't feel like themselves anymore. So that's a very familiar... <laughs> Um, yeah, well, well, we can't you. identify. Yeah, we can't identify with those people that they're talking about because we can only usually identify with people through fault. Um, those are things we obviously share. Um, so we need we need the nuance, or we need the both sides of it. Yes, he had a big heart, but boy, he could be self-destructive, you know. Or yes. Um, We'll have we'll have to leave him there for now, but I really appreciate okay. you coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Cheryl, thank you so much. Thank you. And
And listeners, you can go to williamlychak.com. I'm sorry, lychak.com, L-Y-C-H-A-C-K.com. Next week, I'll have Sue Williams-Silverman. We'll be talking about her new book, How to Survive Death and Other Inconveniences. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.